Welcome to the Anime Research Group. With so much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks. Don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance. Watch the first few episodes, and then discuss what we thought of it. This week, Hyogemono, a 2011 anime set in the Sengoku period. So before we get started this week, I think we have to have a small note about naming. Normally in this show, we've taken the approach of using English order for all names. Whereas this week, I think we're going to have to make an adjustment to that for these Sengoku period names that we're kind of used to saying in the correct order. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be saying Oda Nobunaga and Sen no Soeki and Tokugawa Ieyasu, etc. Not the reverse, because otherwise we're going to go insane. (laughs) With that brief note out of the way, Denny... Yeah, the anime ran from April 7th, 2011 until January 26th, 2012, for a total of 39 episodes, which is an odd number. That means it's a three-core show, which we don't get that many of. I can't remember the last three-core show we had. Yeah. Yeah. It was made by B-Train, a studio I'd not heard of before I did uh, my research for this. It was founded in 1997 by Koichi Mishimo, the director of this anime, uh, the studio is primarily well known for the Dot Hack franchise, which I, I'm thinking we probably see on this podcast sooner or later. Uh, Tsubasa Chronicles, mm. but also responsible for Spider Riders. So that, that's going back all the way to the first episode. I was going to mention Spider Riders. <laughs> yeah, the studio has been dormant um, since 2011. This was actually the last anime they made since uh, Mishimo ret- decided to retire at that time. So the studio essentially retired with him. This is weirdly prescient, considering that Yuasa uh, retired from being president of um, uh, Science Sarah this week. But he has left behind a studio that will do things. So I don't know what happened to Mishimo, but whatever. Mashimo, but whatever. Yeah. The anime is based on a manga by Yashihiro Yamada, from, uh, which ran for 24 volumes from 2005 until 2017. And it won an Excellence Prize at the 13th Japan Media Arts Festival and the Grand Prize of the 2010 uh, Tezuka Osama Cultural uh, Prize. Yeah, and I think Mishimo is actually a a very interesting director. Specifically, his studio is more unique, I'd say, specifically in the way he describes it. Isn't that right, Freya? Well, the way he described it, yes. Um, Whether it turned out that way is a different matter. Koichi Mashimo has quite a long career for uh, this show, I think. Most people have bodies of work going back 30 years at most. This guy goes all the way back to the 70s, where I suppose he he got started as an assistant director in uh, Tatsunoko Productions, who we talked about the other week, right? Yeah. His first uh, role as solo director of something was actually the second season of uh, the original Gacha Man. So that's... Uh, <laughs> Fairly prodigious, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, directed quite a lot of stuff over the years, so I'll focus in on some highlights. You two remember Dominion Tank Police? Of course. Yes. Yes. In the 90s, he did uh, a Robin Hood show. <laughs> <laughs> he, dire- he directed The Irresponsible Captain Tyler, which I think is famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And for Denny's sake, he directed uh, an adaptation of Eat Man. Was it the first or the second one? Because that's important. Because that was the not good one. That's what people said. Um, And then in 97, he also founded his own studio, as we said, though it was as a uh, subsidiary of um, Production IG. He got the the idea for this because in the 80s, he had a uh, severe alpine skiing accident. And uh, during his stay in the intensive care unit, he came up with the idea of a hospital for animators. So an animation studio whose primary goal would be fostering talent more than commercial success and money. So that's an interesting idea. And uh, B-Train remained an, a subsidiary of um, Production IG, much like ZBIG, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, until uh, 2006, where it became independent. And then six years later, it became dormant again when he retired. So that was uh, not very long as an independent studio. I'm wondering about the term dormant they use specifically when talking about the studio. Does that mean the studio is technically not dead? And Because I doubt there's any people still on payroll. Yeah. I'm just curious why they specifically choose to keep call it dormant rather than just a dissolved studio. That is not uh, dead, which can eternal life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Possibly weird copyright stuff, I don't know. Um, so yeah, B-Train was sort of uh, stuck for a few years <laughs> making uh, the Dot .hack franchise, and mm-hmm. uh, Mashimo directed most of it, from what I can tell. Uh, like we said earlier, I'm sure we'll talk about Dot .hack at some point, if Ian can get over the weird uh, problem he had with it. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Who knows? Um, I don't have I don't have good mental associations with .hack. Yes, which is a perfectly valid reason not to watch it. During this time, he also made the uh, at at B Train. He made the quote unquote famous Girls with Guns trilogy of Noir, Madlax, and El Cazador de la Bruja. Which I mean, Girls with Guns is a genre of Asian film, I suppose, uh, although not just Asian. Noir is the only one that I I'd heard of before this, and um, maybe maybe Mad Black. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard of Noir, but not the other two. So people seem to associate him with having strong female protagonists and sort of ambiguous sexuality. We'd need to watch Noir and the others to talk about that. Maybe we will at some point, and then we talk about that. He also uh, directed Tsubasa Chronicles, I think, which is one of Clamp's more well-known works. Is it? I, I think it's like their big epic that uh, tries to yeah. tie together the majority of their universes, but it's <laughs> oh, incredibly confusing and hard to read, and it's a big mess. <laughs> of a manga from what I remember when I read it. In 2009, he directed Phantom Requiem for the Phantom, which we mentioned the other day. When we yeah, were talking I, I like that show. I, I really like that show from what I remember, at least. How was the directing? Ten years ago or so. Couldn't tell you. All right. And you didn't care. Um, no, back then, I most certainly did not. Uh, he also directed one of the uh, Halo Legends shorts. It's always fun when you're just looking through people's like body of work uh, on Wikipedia or Mal or whatever, and it's just Halo Legends, and you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. as mentioned in 2006, he directed Spider Riders. Spider Riders. I don't know if that's the opening. That just sounds like, like <laughs> what it should be. I'm sure it's on Denny's list at some point. Um, maybe. Or maybe not. 
And then, yes, this was his final project as director and the final project of his studio. So I guess we have to ask uh, if it worked as a thing for fostering talent. I don't know <laughs> is the answer <laughs> to that question. Given the fact that uh, Kevin on Twitter and the other animation people I follow never talk about people being from B-Train, possibly not. I also hear that B-Train shows in general do not have the... seemed like they had bad production cycles. Mm. Do not have the best or the most consistent animation, which is fine. I love plenty of shows that are very inconsistent. I mean, and, and it makes sense if they're fostering new talents, they're always getting in new people, which would explain why there wasn't a consistent uh, like. Well, you say that, but Kyoani does this, and if if there's anything I'd associate with them, it's consistency. Mm, sure. So I'm not sure what to think of Koichi Meshimo, to be honest. Yeah, and like on the west, on the western sort of side of things, this is what I always hear about, like Don Bluth Studios with the Land Before Time series, that that's their incubator project. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is true, but I've I, I have heard this more than once. That mm. like the, I have also the, must have heard this. The like that they said that the Land Before Time. The reason it has so many things is because that's what they set all their new animators on. Because there's like sixteen of uh, sixteen of those. Isn't there's there? thirty. There's thirteen of them, uh, and a TV series. God, I don't think I've ever seen past the first one. I've seen all of them. <laughs> oh, because <okay. laughs> I'm stupid. How is number thirteen, Freya? Uh, it was bad. <laughs> I think I don't remember. <laughs> It was only in 2016. <laughs> oh, God. No, no, no. It's way older than that. The the most recent Land Before Time is 2016. What, what what number is it? I don't know. It's Journey to the Brave. Well, I've not seen that one. Well, it's been rebooted. Get on it, then. I thought it had stopped after the TV show. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. We'll probably watch some of these shows that I've mentioned. Maybe we can have more of a... Uh moratorium on him at that point. I don't know why I'm acting like he's dead. Um, <laughs> he's retired. That basically means he's dead to us. Um, so I guess I'll move on to the series composer, who is also has quite a long career, though he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so I can't find a chronological list of his works, which is very irritating. He's worked with uh, Koichi Mashimura on quite a few things. Uh, he worked on that uh, Robin Hood show. Uh, he worked on the 2008 Blade of the Immortal adaptation with him, which I didn't mention. I think people said that wasn't very good. He also seems to write a lot of fairy tale, or work on a lot of fairy tale stuffs, because stuffs, stuff. Because stuff. uh, he wrote the, um, you remember Ronya, the robber's daughter? That was fairly recent, right? Yeah, yeah, that was like, because that yes. was that debut on Amazon Prime or Amazon. Yeah. Directed by Goro Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki's son. He also wrote The Irresponsible Captain Tyler with um, Mashimo again. He worked on a lot of Sakura Wars, uh, which is a franchise that I thought oh, existed. That, yeah. <laughs> um, Denny, have you seen After War Gundam X? Uh, yeah, it's one of their middling shows. Like It has some strong points in its post-apocalyptic world. But overall, it, it falls kind of flat towards the end, especially when we get to some of the the surprised noble villains that Gundam always likes to have, where it's like, oh no, the politician was the real evil guy all along, and Kagati Fonzie is just not a very interesting villain that I cared about. 
it's uh, like one of the things that he actually had like more creative control over because uh, he wrote all that, all of the episodes and wrote this scenario for them, which usually means he came up with the basic idea. Uh, right, moving on. Our composer is also somebody with a very long career going back to the uh, 70s. Um, Ko Otani, uh, who wrote the music for uh, City Hunter, Gundam Wing, Outlaw Star, <laughs> all of Shakagandoshana, which whatever. I would like to say that the best thing about Gundam Wing is its music, so good on him. Okay. That, that has an amazing main theme. Bla- the, the 2008 Blade of the Immortal again. Um, Tokyo Magnitude 8 and Jinruri, uh, Humanity Has Declined. Uh, <laughs> but the big two for me are Hibernate Remme, which is a really good soundtrack. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely. a really nice mix of uh, folk music and ethereal um uh, ethereal instrumentation, and the really big one for most people is uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay, I yeah, know. Then, then. Which is I... also a, a good uh, soundtrack. Yeah. I uh, like but it. I don't think I need to say that because no. that game is very beloved. His music for this show. Oof. <laughs> 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 I think I think that's that's a big uh, bigger like after after. After producing some great music, he's managed to produce music that does not work. Well, maybe the uh, maybe the, I think the problem is with the music direction more than the music itself. Uh, yes, possibly. Like if it was placed at different points in the anime or in a different, yes, might have been. We might have not noticed it so much. But here, every time the music was playing, we just yeah. noticed that it felt incredibly inappropriate for whatever given scene. What's happening at the moment? Some of the some of the like quieter piano tracks fit quite well. Anyway, we're jumping about six segments ahead in our uh, structure. Fuck the structure. <laughs> okay, so with that, I guess we should talk about the first episode. Mm-hmm. The first episode's title is "Would You Die for a Tea Kettle?" To which my I answer is, of course, no, no, of course not. Um. <laughs> so yeah, we open with a. Um... A very nice shot, or series of shots, of a uh, samurai standing in an empty battlefield with the uh, setting sun framing behind him, and there's a nice filter over everything, and everything's all red. And the flag on his back is fluttering, and it's all very pretty and Kurosawa. And then we move on to the actual show, which is nothing like that. Yeah, I'm going to have a bit more to say about like some of the choi- the choices they have about mixing art styles uh, like yes. a bit later on but for the next part we get is just we're in the castle the the house of Oda Nobunaga and our narrator is uh, Furuta Sasuke and he's talking about his life <laughs> oh it's a Zuchi castle while it's being built I, I like to think I like to think of this whole scene as as Furuta Sasuke roasting everyone else <laughs> Mm. I mean, it's just internal narration, but uh, he's just going around sort of judging what everyone else is wearing, which gives us the idea that he is the kind of person who cares a lot about the finer things in life rather than being a uh, a warrior, per se. I think they describe him as an aesthete later Yes. on the person who really appreciates the aesthetics of things. Yes. Before I go too much further, uh, I would... I'm going to make a quick note about the voice actor. Uh, in this case, this is Koji Okura. That is the not the Japanese order. One thing we're going to see is that a lot of the people who are doing the voices for this show uh, aren't really 
voice actors in the traditional sense. They're, this guy does much more TV and film. He does have a role in Fulikuli. He's Commander Amaru. <laughs> but that's basically his only anime role. Uh, and I did I did check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, he did get to play Akuma in the live-action ping-pong. I have to say, it actually uh, works quite well. Because uh, both he and the uh, person playing Hideyoshi... It's, it's a weird thing where they just don't sound like uh, anime voice actors, if that makes sense. It's certainly in the case of um, Hideyoshi, uh, that's uh, Masashi Ibarra. Uh, he's he's done a lot more anime. Uh, like, he's my mm. guy in Naruto. Since we mentioned Shatna, uh, he's Alistair, the Flame of Heaven, <laughs> uh, in that. But, and also, he was an Eat Man. <laughs> yeah. just, just to mention that again. <laughs> and he was like... Uh, Van Hohenheim in the first Full Metal Alchemist, but he got replaced in the second one. The delivery when they're not doing the more like over the top lines uh, sounds a lot more grounded than a typical Seiyu. No shade on Seiyu, and they can do the like over the top yelling stuff well too. So it's uh, it's nice. So Nobunaga is going to send Furuta uh, on a diplomatic mission to Hisahide to betray Nobunaga uh, again. For the third time, I've got, I've got, I've got to say, uh, like I'm fortunate, as I think all of us are. I have heard this story more than once uh, from <laughs> reading, like reading, like Gekiga and stuff. I mean, I can't think, I can't think of many other Japanese stories that have been told, adapted, or recreated as much as Oda Nobunaga. I mean, he's had the freaking, he has a freaking crossover of Pokemon for God's sake. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he is he is just a standard part of the Japanese history curriculum, mm. uh, but it definitely has the advantage that the names and some of the story beats start to like resonate with you a little bit. You're like, okay, here's here's what's happening. So Nobunaga instructs Sasuke to offer him a pardon uh, in exchange for a tea kettle, uh, the Hiragumo tea kettle. Yeah, a very nice uh, tea kettle. Uh, we're told, but a tea kettle nevertheless. We see later it's huge. Did you, would you want such a huge tea kettle? It just seems kind of yes. impractical. He's an aesthete. Do you, do you think he cares about practicality that much? No. He's, he's making a lot of tea. Yeah, <laughs> and he's making a lot of tea. You I could guess. probably use it, Ian. <laughs> I really could. My last experience with the Hiragumo was fighting his personification in a video game. It, it's, not a, it's not an RPG until you have a spider boss. Yeah, that's that's just a default thing you've got to have. There'll always be a giant spider boss. So he goes to Hisahide's, and he gets shot at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they do let him in as 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 a messenger, uh, and he has a look around the castle, and he gazes upon the tea kettle, and it's love at first sight. You've got to mm. say it. <laughs> I mean, I have never seen a man who wanted to have sex with tea kettles as much as I have in this show. Yeah. <laughs> Not just tea kettles, though. Yeah. Art. Art in general. But yeah, uh, Hisahide, of course, uh, refuses the offer, stating that the tea kettle is his soul. And you get <laughs> what I think to be the nicest shot in all three episodes, where we see uh, Hisahide's silhouette against a, a red moon with um, a window in between. It looks beautiful, like it's it's a, a desktop-worthy shot. I also like the sequence before that, where it's just cutting between them staring at each other with no, <laughs> with no uh, music or sound effects. I think there were like eight cuts of just eyes. Yes. We should probably mention that this is a comedy drama, or at least that's 
what we think it is. It's it's kind of hard to tell at times. Which is nice. It's nice to defy genre expectations. Yeah, the, yeah. Like I was going in expecting a Gekiga. This is not Gekiga. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting, but uh, Hisahidi is using a much more archaic form of speech than most of uh, the other people. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see him refer to himself using the term like washi, which aside from meaning paper <laughs> is, I guess it's mostly used in fiction these days, but it's like, it's the way you represent that this person is like an old person. Uh, and I couldn't pay attention to everyone's speech as carefully as I'd like, but he definitely seems to be the only person who refers to himself that way. So eventually Hideyoshi shows up after uh, Masahida has refused the offer and uh, kicks, Yas- kicks Sasuke out without a tea kettle, of course. And um, we then just cut to the outside of the castle where Sasuke talks to, I think, Oda's son? So yeah, after the massive stare down, uh, the, peop- the castle gets stormed um, and we then see Hisahide like, climb up to the top uh, of the castle and he has strapped the teapot to himself and <laughs> well, he blows himself up with the teapot. Yeah. So in real life, um, he definitely blew up the tea kettle. There's some debate over whether he blew himself up with it or if he just uh, committed seppuku like normal. But then the other story is that after he, he told his son that no one could have his head. So after he committed seppuku, his son cut his head off, then ran with his head and stabbed himself in the neck and jumped off the top of the castle as well. <laughs> so both stories are pretty silly. The one thing that definitely happened was him blowing up the tea kettle. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously Sasuke um, is distraught, uh, as any fan of tea kettles would be. And yes. he tries to recover it, but I think he only manages to get the top, the, the lid of the kettle. Yeah, yeah. He, he he runs desperately after it's being like blown away and just managed to catch it falling into like a, a chasm almost and burning his hand. And I guess it's implied that Hideyoshi made some kind of deal with uh, Hisahide uh, off screen. We then cut to Nobunaga sitting outside watching people sumo wrestle. Uh, I don't know enough about Subo to know whether that was an accurate depiction or not. I mean, how could you how could you tell? Because you couldn't see it because the shot is framed weirdly. The whole point of the uh, scene is a discussion between uh, Nobunaga and Hideyoshi about mm. like Hideyoshi being like, ah, oh, very good, my lord. I see that you were trying to do this and Nobunaga's like, you can't tell me what I was doing. That's that's not that's very presumptuous of you, monkey boy. Uh, <laughs> not actually uh not far from that. <laughs> uh, everybody, everybody does keep calling Hideyoshi a monkey. But, but the further the scene with the sumo wrestling is like it's framed so that normally you would see the he's got like the nice chair that you're sitting on. You'd be like, this is where you the thing should be framed perfectly, so you would look see it through the chair. But no, you just see their feet, which is fine. Like I'm okay with watching Nobunaga's back while he talks with Hideyoshi, but it, it seemed like a lost opportunity. Uh, to be quite honest. Uh, Nobunaga is wearing Western clothing throughout the entire episode because he is, as Freya has so accurately described him, a Westaboo. <laughs> and he was in real life. Yeah, so that was nice and accurate. But yeah, the discussion essentially centers around a poem that Mitsuhide has supposedly sent no. Nobunaga. 
that Hisehide apparently sent Nobunaga. But uh, turns out that Mitsuyoshi wrote the poem himself, although it's not clear at all to us why he did so. Because they tried to establish that Hideyoshi is a crafty bastard, which, uh, I mean, is what he's famous for. Uh, and Hisahide is another famous crafty bastard. So it's, uh, yeah, they're just establishing that it's recognizing each other, I guess. I guess. And then following all this, we get to learn, uh, it's about a year later, right, um, that we see one of Nobunas, uh, Nobunaga's giant, the Atakabune. Yes, which does not look, in real life, does seemingly not look like how it does here, but that's fine. And he's just, and uh, Nobunaga is standing in front of him in full, like... Pirate Utena uh, outfit. <laughs> I was thinking more like cavalier or musketeer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he kills a, a merchant who uh, like slags him off basically for spending a lot of money on it. But not for slagging him off, because he did not stick to his opinion when he was pressed on it, I guess. And yeah, and then the final thing we get in there is that he tests uh, Sasuke with the question, which is superior, this boat castle... Or a tea or the Hirigumo tea <laughs> And we get another nice uh, set of uh, intense cuts between eyes. Mm. Uh, and then a cut back to the uh, samurai in the beginning. Maybe that's like a, a large flash forward, something that happens at the end of the show. Or it's just supposed to be representing Nobunaga's uh, mystique, I guess. Or, or, well, just the mystique of being a fucking Sengoku uh, samurai. So what did we think of this episode altogether as an opening episode? Uh, I liked it. I am mostly meh on it, but that's because I've read a lot of Nobunaga stuff, and this one didn't have any necessarily interest, interesting enough spin to really grab me, and I'm not sure this blend of comedy and drama works that well for me, so I didn't enjoy it all that much. How about hmm. you, Ian? Well, I mean, I was shot, I was surprised by it mostly, um, in like a pleasant way. It's one of those things where... It expects you to have a lot of like foreknowledge watching this show, which anyone who's went through Japanese high school would have. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the only person that we're really spending any time really characterizing in any depth is Sasuke. We get we get glimpses of the key traits of Nobunaga and Hideyoshi. Yeah. Do, do you know, uh, Freya, if um, Furuta Sasuke is meant as a historical character? Because I don't he, remember. He's a real person. And he actually lasts all the way till uh, 1615. So I'm assuming the manga goes all the way up to his death, where he <laughs> somewhat appropriately is uh, for forced to plot against uh, Tokugawa and uh, gets ex- uh, and gets executed for it. Oh, well, no, gets forced to commit suicide. I see. Part of the problem with um, with uh, reading these, with watching these sorts of shows, is that they change their names a lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, if we just go to like Ieyasu for a second, he had like four names. Yes. Like uh, he was like Motonobu, and then like mid, and then he was something else, and then he became Ieyasu. Yeah. Uh, and it's keeping track of when they had the different names because. I see that this Furuta Sasuke is also Furuta Shigenari or Furuta Oribe. Oribe, yeah. 
And if you're only familiar with one name, things get confusing. <laughs> and there's, I mean, Hideyoshi is especially confu- uh, confusing because he goes from being called Tokichiro to uh, becoming an actual samurai, not a peasant. So he gets more than one name. And then he has like four, then he changes it like four times. Yes, it's all very confusing. So yeah, I, I liked it. It felt uh, more grounded than I expected. Like, yes, Sasuke has is a weird aesthete who gets very excited over tea kettles, but it doesn't feel like... It's not obnoxious. Uh, he has some very good, stupid facial expressions, I have to say. Which are picked which are picked straight from the manga. Yes. And there's some nice, subtle facial animation with that, too. Uh, it's not, like, too overdone. Um, Was it in this episode or the next episode where we got the, like, four seconds, which were just eyebrows twitching very slowly? I think it was this one. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, And uh, they very quickly established the, like, key traits of Hideyoshi and uh, Nobunaga, like Ian said. But they they don't... uh, They feel like maybe the most grounded versions of these characters I've seen in anything. Uh, Certainly anything animated. So that's nice. Though Hisahidi is a one-off, he'd like get all the key elements of his character right pretty much uh, immediately, and he starts to show off with a literal bang. <laughs> yes. So for a one-off character, he feels pretty impactful to me, at least. <laughs> yeah, a, li- a little crazy, but in-, in a way that we like. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So let's move on to episode two then. Uh, episode two is Fantasy of the Tea Room. Well, when you leave it on such a cliffhanger as which is better, the tea kettle or the boat, you need to start off with answering that. And he gives the a satisfying answer <laughs> by saying, well, you can't really compare the two. They're both virtuous in their own ways. <laughs> which Nobunaga's pretty happy with. Yeah, he was less happy with the answer he gets from... Uh, His three tea masters. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, Sen no Soike, uh decides that, well, it's missing one crucial ingredient. It needs to you be need... painted black. <laughs> yeah, and this is not going to be the first time he's going to suggest something be painted black, so guys just emo, I guess. He's <laughs> <laughs> really not, which is the funny thing. Needs to be draped in darkness. But, uh, yeah, Nobunaga goes for it and he's just like, yeah, paint them all black. Why not? And then uh, Soaki and uh, Sasuke make a little bit of an acquaintance, which is uh, important for Sasuke because he is a tea aficionado. This is the tea <laughs> master. You got you got to, got to meet your heroes. And there are, uh, there are a lot of shots in these, uh, in episodes two or three of uh, Soeki's... Um... Impassive Buddha-esque face. <laughs> yes. He just kind of stares at you. So, so such Buddha. <laughs> yes. And it, re- it really makes him stand out compared to every- everyone else. So that's uh, that's nice, I guess. He is supposed to be quote-unquote enlightened. We get a family scene with Sasuke next. Uh, we get introduced to his brother, uh, Kiyohide. In, uh, in-law, brother-in-law. Uh, yes, his brother-in-law. Uh, uh, and his wife, uh, Osen. Kyohide is going to be departing for war. Under under his lord, um, Araki Murashige. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's under he's not under the same. They're not under the same liege, uh, which I guess makes sense if his brother-in-law uh, rather than uh, brother themselves. We with his wife, um, Sasuke is just like, well, look at this pottery piece. Your your beauty, my wife, is like that of this piece of pottery. He doesn't say that to her. He says that internally while he's. Uh, attempting to have sex. Now look at my wife. Now look at this teapot. Now look at my wife. Now look at this teapot. Aren't they just the same? They're both so beautiful. I, I have trophyized my wife. Yes, <laughs> she, she holds the same value as my teapot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can I compare thee to a teapot? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Yeah, this is the worst uh, scene in all of the episodes. <laughs> Thankfully, this quickly gets interrupted when a messenger arrives to tell Sasuke that his brother-in-law and his lord have rebelled against Nobunaga. Yeah, so uh, Nobunaga sends Sasuke in to try and get his brother-in-law to surrender rather than having to fight his way into the castle he's holding. And it's hilarious because he goes there in just the stupidest baller white armor you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I actually think it's a really nice, it's a really interesting scene because it's definitely the, the most tense scene out of all three because it's not something you, what he does to negotiate peace is yes. not something I would have expected him to do. Yes, it's, uh, he effectively calls um, Kiyohide's bluff by bringing his wife in and uh almost executing her <laughs> yeah the the intent is that like uh siblings share their fate uh yes. like if one person if if like one branch of the family rebels the whole family rebels. and so he's like i am going to try and kill my, this woman who is my wife and is your mm-hmm. sister in front of you <laughs> he doesn't but the bluff succeeds and he only removes a small piece of her hair uh fortunately this is an anime or her hair might actually look weird given the way it was cut <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't think we ever see her again after hair uh, like f- get good shots of her so i don't we don't actually know what her no. she looks like after that with that new haircut we get a lot of uh, shots of cutting between very intense facial expressions again um and i do like how much sweat they draw on the uh, characters in this yeah, yeah. I, I particularly like that we really see him holding his breath in when he's yes. when, he, when we see him stop the blade, which presumably like it looks like he's it looks like he's about to vomit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought he did, uh, yes. but I, I guess it was just like some some spit. Sweat. The one thing that kind of uh, undercuts the scene is the music direction again. It's just a little too over the top, and the problem is it's uh, it's all sort of synthesized orchestral instruments which makes it sound a bit tacky the drums are okay uh it somewhat undercuts the scene so yeah during this episode we've seen uh nobunaga a few times and he is wearing he's wearing a sort of hybrid european blessed breastplate with um typical samurai uh i don't know what those uh leg those like uh, tassel skirt things are called but more typical samurai uh, lamella armor, I guess. His helmet... <laughs> yes, which is, is ridiculous. ...appears to be based on a, a helmet that was sent to Henry VIII as a gift from the, the Holy Roman Empire, the Emperor at the time. So the short summary is uh, lifelike face mask uh, for the helmet 
with stupid uh, pince <laughs> glasses <laughs> on it uh, and devil-style goat horns. Incredibly twirly goat horns. Uh, I, I describe him as Nerd Satan when we watched yeah, it. It's called the um, Horned Helmet if you want to look it up for yourself. Yes. Uh, th- there'll be a link in the description. Nobunaga often gets depicted with a sort of weird uh, Western inspired uh, armor set, but I've never seen him wearing that helmet. So that's, uh, that's something. Like he acknowledges uh, Sasuke's success and there's like, well, onto the siege at the next castle, uh, at Arioka Castle. And we just see them sacking the place. Um, they've got to try and find uh, Murashige. Uh, and so we find um, him in like the underground tunnel part of the castle. Yes. Uh, where Sasuke uh, corners him. He tries to be a bit of a hero. <laughs> quote, unquote, quote, unquote. And then he like sl- dabs at the guy and slices open his bag. Yes. At which point he just gets obsessed by the legendary glazed T-bone <laughs> uh, <laughs> that falls out. The Araki Korai? Korai, whatever. Yes, which Murashige exchanges for his freedom. Leaving with a little epitaph about how uh, he does not need to kill himself like he's a hero because he has better karma. It's essentially, uh, I'll be back to get you next time. Uh, what happened to Murashige in real life? Probably had to commit seppuku. Nope. Um, he escaped and lived the rest of his life as a Chan, Chan or Yu's disciple of uh, Soeki. There you go. Hmm. Speaking of Soeki, later Sasuke gets invited uh, by Soeki to his home. I think it's his home, anyway. Mm. Uh, to take part in a tea ceremony. Uh, and he's going to use a replica of this bowl, uh, the Araki Korai. And Sasuke immediately takes it as a sign that Soaki knows that he uh, about his little deal. This is another nice little intense uh, scene where we're in, uh, uh, we're entirely within Sasuke's head, I'd say. Uh, and Soaki is a very ambiguous figure, and it's done quite well. And here's one of the scenes where the music actually works, because uh, it's a nice, soft but somewhat intimidating piano uh, piece. Mm-hmm. I think I think this show might have been stronger if it was just a drama, but that, of course, it, as an adaptation of the manga, it just needed to recreate that rather than uh, trying to readjust the structure to something that might have been more fitting. Because while we have a lot of Nobunaga anime, I can't actually think of that many very serious adaptations of the story that take themselves... Like that, actually, that accurate that try to depict everything as accurately as possible. I'm sure we have that in live live action shows, but a novel in, in in anime, I can't. I... There is one. This is the most closest you get. Uh, I I think people probably don't feel like there's too much of a need because there's already a ton. Yeah. Uh, of manga and novels and. To be honest, I I actually quite like the sort of mixed approach this takes of like having them be somewhat larger than life, but still um, way more grounded in I'm the Demon King, I summon tornadoes and (laughs) and uh, whatever, or I'm a a 12 year old girl. 
I honestly, I, I get a little tired sometimes when we're just having a bunch of people mon one another, and there's a lot of nice tension breaking with the the attempts at humor, uh, which sort of break that up. Otherwise, you could just be like, you could get intense or <laughs> yeah. some better phrasing thereof. Overall, I think episode two was slightly worse than than episode one. It's just kind of it's structured a bit weirdly. Since especially since. Uh, essentially most of episode one is chapter one but then chapter two from when i looked at it is divided between episode one and two so the whole boat episode is a completely separate chapter and then the whole episode with the brother rebelling and the deal that's an that's essentially another chapter i have to uh, structurally and this is something that i i pretty much always get irritated by it feels like they're adapting it chapter by chapter without really taking these steps to like alter the structure to work better in a different medium. They're obviously trying, given that they put the cliffhanger partway through chapter two, as you said, but it just kind of feels like it's uh, going through the motions. But I do like the uh, time skips, which is not a phrase people say very often. <laughs> yeah, I, I was figuring we were going to talk about that, about that later, but uh, now is as good a time as any. This manga, uh, this this anime rather. This story. I, I, I guess I guess the manga probably as well hasn't really been afraid to just be like, and we just fast forward a year. It's fine. We do that. Hmm. Which I guess I would usually be a bit reticent to see. Uh, there is thirty nine episodes to go, and this is taking several decades worth. So I guess you you I guess you can afford to do that. I would usually be a bit reticent to do it, but it seems to be working just fine. Uh, Again, it's a story that the people that this was uh, uh, made for would be like, they're very familiar with this period of history. So skipping around like that doesn't really matter too much. Yeah, just the highlights. Uh, does it matter in terms of uh, for people who don't care, uh, who don't know much about Sengoku, uh, the Sengoku period? Yeah, probably. Um, but they're not going to watch this show. Yeah, and it's not like we're getting the full Sengoku period. We're getting the we're getting the period as experienced uh, through this one character, uh, yeah. yeah. So let's move on to talk about episode three. Episode three is titled "Stairway to Heaven." There's no Led Zeppelin references. <laughs> yeah, this starts off with Sasuke and Soaki, uh, Soaki in the house, and we get the sweat dripping from him, and he's like. I'm afraid, Soki, that I too have a bowl just like this. <laughs> and yeah, he reveals that like what that what went down in the thing that he kind of let his lord down by trading the guy's life for a bowl. Yeah, and Soki is fine with this. Turns out that he was the one who had lent uh, the bowl to Murashige in the first place. And could I please have my bowl back? Yeah. He also says that it's nice that um, Sasuke is honest about his greed. It is nice that he's honest about his greed. If if only we could learn from him. And Sasuke's like, yes, I will return it. But please, 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 can I become your disciple, Soaki Senpai? <laughs> and Soaki's like, sure. All hail to the tea, bitches. It's re- it's it's a really important thing. The tea is life. I mean, I know you feel that way, and it's just some other people don't. Yeah, I hate tea. Yeah, so we move from the here uh, to onto Azuchi Castle, and uh, Sasuke is learning that well, it's it's much bigger now. Yes, <laughs> uh, and it's full of gold. 
Yeah, it's it's more inspired by uh, Kikuchi Temple, and they've decided to paint it black. Pretty nice. Uh, I, I rate I rate it eight out of ten. Uh, I don't I, I don't know how to rate a Japanese castle. I'm going to be perfectly honest. It's very opulent compared to most Japanese castles. The lighting sure. in this castle is amazing. <laughs> like, yes. How do you get lighting like that, where you're just walking through and you get the like paper doors, and it's just got this wonderful, gl- wonderful mm. uh, glow, and then the doors get opened, and there's shirtless Nobunaga, <laughs> uh, and it's all golden, and there's like a lens flare, <laughs> I think. He's much. He's uh, he's much buffer than he probably was in real life yeah especially uh, at this point when he's like 50 oh no it's like 45 i think i refer to him as a bishy far too often <laughs> uh and as long as you don't see the scarring on his back you probably you're probably like yeah yeah i mean that and the christmas tree beard the christmas tree beard isn't doing it for me <laughs> yeah uh, well, well go- goatee uh and nobunaga is going to like tell him that I'm going to unify Japan, and then maybe later we can deal with Korea and China. Uh, but he's going to deal. He's going to unify Japan, which we know he does. Not really. <laughs> he gets it most of the way there. Then he gets. Uh, then he gets more or less assassinated. Uh, then Hideyoshi finishes the job, and then Hideyoshi invades Korea, and uh, that doesn't <laughs> go very well. Okay, fine. If we want to be pedantic about it, but well, if you want to be really pedantic, then Hideyoshi dies and Tokugawa Ieyasu has to unify the country. Yeah, exactly. But he does. He he does an okay job of unifying the country. He's certainly yes. better than anyone. He, lay, he, he lays most of the groundwork, mostly by adopting firearms. Pew 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 pew. And he um, also shows off the cool scenery from his balcony. This Nobunaga is very obsessed with aesthetics, which the real one was too, from what we can tell, so it works. And it would all, it also makes sense why Sasuke would be serving under a lord who's as obsessed with aesthetics as he is. I mean, I doubt, I doubt he had much of a choice about which lord he was serving under, but True, yes. True, but he, he does, he, he's very loyal to the way he's portrayed in the anime. Yeah. Though he is clearly intimidated by uh, Nobunaga's ambition. So another day, another castle, this time Himeji Castle. Another tea. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this time time with Hashiba. Uh, With another bowl. Better known as Hideyoshi, for those trying to keep track. Yeah, that that was that wasn't that wasn't very helpful of me. And yeah, Hideyoshi asks Sasuke to recount a banquet. Uh, hosted by Mitsuhide. Yeah, so this like whole next part is is done as you would expect. Is like a, we we see it, but it's it's just the dramatization of the story that is being told. Akachi Hide Mitsu is insulting. Who is not Mitsuhide, despite the very similar name. <laughs> so Sasuke challenges him, but uh, Hide Mitsu makes uh, Hide Mitsu apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Mitsuhide makes Hide Mitsu, god damn it, apologize. <laughs> really not coming with a better name for your cousin who you probably didn't name. Um, I, I, someone named him and it's their fault. Yes. But basic, yeah, but basic, but yeah, basically Mitsuhide is going to ju- justify the way uh, Nobunaga acts uh, by talking about his dead dedication and by professing his own loyalty to Nobunaga. Kind of uh, running his mouth a bit, just in a very flowery way. 
which seems to win over his retainers. Yeah, this is this is how these things always go. You want to inspire loyalty, you have to talk uh, in flowery prose about the natural order and your lord and how great they are. Yeah. Uh, but then you uh, uh, be very passive-aggressive by, instead of getting the nice tea kettle uh, he uh, gave you, you get a normal one instead. Which means he's a traitor. Which means there's something fishy going on with him, according to Sasuke. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, we see, like, uh, at the end, like, he's writing away, pondering over what's happened, and be like, ah, oh, well, so-and-so didn't brew the tea in their kettle, but... Uh, Hideyoshi did, and if he really esteemed my lord, he would have brewed it with my lord's tea kettle, and honestly, Jesus fucking Christ, feudalism, <laughs> get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe maybe the tea kettle wasn't the washer. And that's where it ends. <laughs> I I don't know if we're going to see any, uh, like, really explicit justification for uh, Mitsuhide doing what he does later. There's a lot of discussion about why he uh, did that, like, uh, Nobunaga got his mother killed. Nobunaga kicked him a lot. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you kicked me, I'll stab you in the back. Nobunaga once asked him that if he ever got too ambitious to kill him. Um, there's all sorts of uh, suggestions for why he did it. I guess the show is going with the he's pretty he's kind of a dick to his retainers route. He he kind of just just killed that one guy in the first episode. And they talk about how he executed a whole mm-hmm. clan. So this show's going with the version of Nobunaga that's like the um, uh, eccentric, char- uh, charismatic leader who's also uh, very ruthless, which is probably relatively accurate. Uh, the one thing I'm kind of disappointed is that they haven't got into his more like progressive attitudes compared to a lot of uh, people at the time, but there you go. I mean, we've got, as you said, we have 36 episodes left, so... This is a time when Japan is opening up more to the West, at least insofar as we really, really want their guns. Yes. Uh, and then, ironically, it becomes closed for 300 years. Thanks, Ieyasu. Uh, Ieyasu, we barely see in this. Like, I think we got, like, a few glimpses of him, and I guess it's I guess it's too much to to have expected him to appear this early in the in the narrative. Yeah. Well, he, he was important at this point. He was doing stuff. G- granted, but he just wasn't important enough to the story of this this tea. Uh, tea yes. <laughs> uh, uh, if only Ieyasu was more into tea, he would have he would got more screen time. <laughs> How did we feel about this episode? Uh, it was uh, better. It was the one with no violence. <laughs> better than episode one, better than episode two, but worse than episode one. Yeah, this is one of the things that we noticed is that uh, there is surprisingly little like uh, depiction of violence. I mean, there is depictions of violence. We do see them sieging a place uh, in like the previous episode, um, but like there's very little like actual like gore or like extended fight scenes. It's more like there's background violence going on, uh, which is interesting. I think I just like uh, Soeki, to be honest. Because uh, I've, I've liked all the scenes with him uh, so far. It's just how me- mellow he is in comparison to everyone else. <laughs> Which is very funny because we were joking about how his favorite, how he wants to paint everything black so he must be emo or something. All of our characters uh, have got like quite distinct personalities. Um, yes. We've got like the mellow Soeki, the easily, certainly he's like distractible. <laughs> uh, 
uh, Sasuke, uh, Nobunaga, who is just sitting around, lo- sitting around looking cool. He's <laughs> um, the protagonist of real life, but not this story. Yes. And he's going to die in probably not that few, many episodes, to be honest. And Hideyoshi is well, crafty little bastard. Uh, for my, from for my, my own opinion, like this is sort of more of like the kind of thing I was expecting from this anime. This was this episode mm. because we've just went through three different discussions with, I guess, uh, <laughs> where he's had tea at two of them, <laughs> uh, and it's just the background politics uh, <laughs> and talking about like. Oh well, they're insulting my lord because they wouldn't use his teapot. <laughs> I was like, this is this is this is what I expected when when I we said we were mm-hmm. watching a single good period show. How about you, Danny? Yeah, I mean, I I can see what you mean, and it's definitely on the politics heavy side, and less on the oh, I'm so obsessed with the teapot uh, side of things. So I liked it better than episode two, but I still think episode one was probably the strongest. I mean, we had some nice cinematography, but on the visual side, there were no like standout shots, such as the one on episode uh, in episode one. I mean, the cinematography is the visuals, right? He's looking for like a killer app of shots. <laughs> uh, which you don't I always think... need that. You you don't, but once you once you start having some, it's not too much to ask to occasionally have one. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I guess if we're I guess if we're just done talking about like the episode itself and just want to like discuss uh, like the the direction, the composition, and stuff, this is a good yeah. time to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think the um, directing was reasonably solid. Um, mm-hmm. It's went for much more of the the static camera uh, thing that I always like. Um, yeah, we get an image of their feet, we get an image of their body, and then lots of shots of the face. Yes. <laughs> The cameras are either still or panning. There's no camera following or anything. Um, I guess this is. Bec- I guess this is just because we're not doing 3D, right? <laughs> so we're we're not we're we're not getting away with ha- being able to just have the camera float behind the person. <laughs> we actually have to. Just, we just keep them still. Uh, for the kind of show that we're getting, it's essentially all face. For well, not essentially all face. There's a lot of things that are just just face shots, though. Mm. We, we've pointed out already the number of times where it's just. Eyes, 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 and normally like that pisses me off. But like, I felt there was a humor to it in this yes. uh, show, rather than it just being like, "Look how intense we are." I mean, it was a it was a good mixture of uh, intense and uh, music. I mean, the best uh, scenes in this were where it was like two people just uh, having a lot of a little mini psychological battle, and then the like release when they like laugh it off with each other. Like that happens with Hisahide, it happens with uh, Hideyoshi a little bit, and it happens with uh, Soeki in episode three. Yeah, but outside of that, the direction is uh, yeah, it's it's fine. It works for this. As Denny said, there's not a lot of like here's our shot that we put in on the one perfect shot uh, Twitter account, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 solid. It works for this. I mean, the direction is not as obviously good as, like, the first episode of, of Run With The Wind uh, from last time, but it's, it's yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. there, there were some, there were some weird, weird uh, choices. Like, we already talked about the one where he's, like, sitting at the sumo, and it's just like, you've, fr- you've framed this thing, but there's nothing going on in the bit that you framed. Um, mm-hmm. But other times, um, some of their more interesting choices, 
like in the second episode when they're invading and then the they've just got the camera fixed on like one guy who's like directing the troops and then a guy just like is talking comes on screen and then just walks off the other side and yes. it works really well yeah that's cool and they, and they do a decent job of getting the focus right in many of these shots We've talked a fair amount about the hilariousness of the the musical cues that they've done in here. Uh, uh, like, what do you think uh, was like the the thought process behind some of these uh, choices of music? Possibly they were once a, they were trying to lean more into the comedy uh, aspect of it. So the idea of playing slightly inappropriate music underneath the scenes was meant to be used in a comedic fashion and if it was then it did not succeed yeah in some of them maybe but i think the way the music was composed i think it was more of a problem with the instrumentation they had to work with it's the the weird synth uh this like synthesized or midi there is there is a lot of synth yeah orchestral uh instruments just don't really work and the problem is they put these like kind of like intense tracks uh, or intense, so they're supposed to be intense. They kind of sound kind of goofy because of the synth. One example, I'm not sure how intense I would call it, um, but that, that stuck out to me was in the second episode when they're invading the castle, and they had what I could only describe as like Bond music playing. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, I, 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 I didn't see what they were going for. It was, and I just, guess kind, it was just kind of goofy. Yeah, I, I don't really feel that there was like any comedy to this. I just like I think I think it was just they they were they were going for something, and none of us understand what the, that thing was. It felt like they were working with a version of the tracks they had that was like better produced, if that makes sense. And the thing is, I've already talked a little bit about it, but those like quieter piano pieces worked really well in the uh, Soeki scenes in episodes two and three uh, because it was an actual piano. You know, I'm banging a lot on synth uh, <laughs> instruments here today, but they can work. So Superhero Sour's music is unique, but it works when it's uh, most of the times it's used. There were a few times when actually I thought the absence of like any kind of background music yes. worked really well. There were some there were some really good things where it was just silent. Like the the scenes in episode one with Hisahide where there's no music are really good. The um, having no music and the uh, the sort of the scene with Hisahide in episode three worked really well. The opening that we had for this was not the opening that was intended for these episodes, um, but nevertheless, it's the one that we have. We got Ebi yes. Sukui by uh, Taku Takahashi. And this was uh, an example of them go- like going to the their synth a lot. And I don't think that the the music that they had for that worked for any of us. No, because <laughs> like it starts off with just like a bit of distortion, and then it's a mixture of like trying to go for the Asian pentatonic scale uh, kind of silly like stereotypical riff that you might do, yeah. uh, but done with like a little bit of like a trance styling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They use a lot of uh, sampled sound effects as well. There's like a one that's just like um, a spring going back and forth, like a boing. Yes, there's that. There's that uh, Japanese drum that uh, you know the like don't one. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then like there's a part where there's just like a woman going like ah, or like I don't I don't want to do it, but you know. <laughs> 
Like, I think it's supposed to be, like, suggestive, but doesn't come across that way. It just feels weird. Visually, though, this is an opening that would really appeal to me. Yeah. I actually think the uh, the, uh, the ending the, they do as well, uh, is pretty visually interesting as well. Mm. Uh, but we have uh, a lot of these just, like, block colors. Um, like, you'll see the image of, like, the... Uh, retainer walking and his clothing will be like three colors. It'll be like the main color, like the sleeves, yeah. and then like the lining. Uh, and he'll just be in black uh, silhouette. And I'm pretty sure the only detail of the faces they show in the opening is the eyes. Uh, you get a bit of like light sh- light showing on like where the nose is, but like the faces are very underdefined. They're often like very yeah. close to the camera. Uh, it's a lot of the, I don't want to say Jojo-esque, because it's nowhere near uh, over the top enough to be Jojo, but like the where you've just got the background and it's just um, pulsing like blue spots with like a guy sipping tea over it. They do this in the ending, where they'll just uh, like like trans- make one of the colors transparent and they'll have like a, a scene of a picture of like a globe or a house. And these are like in that area, and these are like images taken from like real life. It's it's very nice. Uh, the ending, not so much. I, I've got to forget about it. <laughs> song that the song that they picked for the ending, uh, which is Kizuna by Yuki Saito, is a bit more in keeping with what I would expect from this kind of a show. The thing that's weird about the opening is that I am reasonably sure that the visuals were made for the original uh, song that they had. And that they've just put this one to it later when <laughs> they couldn't use that one anymore. So while they've they have made an effort to like time the um, the like changes in the uh, the um, progression of the song to the uh, cuts in the opening, it feels I've given the Busa Rankin opening a lot of shit, but they made that <laughs> they made the visuals to the song like it was well edited. Most of the time. Whereas here, it feels like they tried to, but uh, it's more like going through the motions than anything. And it definitely feels like the visuals were made for a different song, which they probably were. Uh, yeah, so before we wrap this up, uh, normally I, I try and work it in, but, for, uh, but it, it's been a bit trickier today for reasons. Uh, I want to talk about the, the voice acting. So the... the Choice of the actors that they've done for this, um, I think I, I mentioned this already. Uh, they didn't pick like a standard anime voice cast, and they picked a much older cast than I guess we would expect most people in anime. And that makes sense, right? Uh, I guess if you're wanting to mm. do like a bunch of old men. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, this uh, NHK was on the production committee for this, and it was broadcast on uh, NHK BS Premium. So they were probably able to like get them in touch with these uh, uh, more TV and film actors. Yeah, that that would make sense. So yeah, Nobuo Tanaka was Seno. Uh, he's done voice work going all the way back to Astro Boy in 1963. Although I kind of want to say he's probably most famous as uh, Shintaro Chaki in Detective Conan, because he did that for 17 years. But for those of us who are fans of Super Sentai, he narrated the original series um, of Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger, which is the first one in the Super Sentai brand. Unfortunately, he passed in uh, 2018. I already me- I already mentioned mentioned Masashi Ibarra, so um, who did Hideyoshi? Nobunaga was done by Riki Koyama. Masashi Ibarra, incidentally, is the official dub over artist of Tom Hanks. 
<laughs> okay, if you want, if you want dubs, uh, uh, Nobuo Tanaka dubs Burt Reynolds, uh, and <laughs> uh, Ricky Koyama, who I'm going to talk about, dubs George Clooney. He's probably most famous as Yamato in Naruto Shippuden. Also, Boromir. <laughs> <laughs> to me, he'll always be Hideo Kuze in Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Now that's an awesome character. And I probably shouldn't mention uh, Shingo Tsurume, who would be Tokugawa Ieyasu, because he wasn't in the episodes we watched. <laughs> but this is basically one of their only voice roles. They were also in the 2009 uh, animation of Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And he also did voice work for Yakuza Zero as Tsukasa Sagawa, but not much else. But he's been in a ton of live-action stuff, including adaptations of uh, manga. Yeah, as I said earlier, I liked the voice acting in this uh, quite a bit. They all get, even uh, Rikiki Koyama, who's probably the most like prolific uh, voice actor, they all had uh, very varied uh, performances, at least to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, one thing we didn't mention about, I didn't mention about Rikiki Koyama is that he's done a lot of Shakespeare. He was like Antonio in The Merchant of Venice. In- Interesting. Koji Okura in particular is pretty good. Probably because his character is the most <laughs> shows the most varied emotions because he's the main one. Um, yeah, I'm a little surprised that we don't get more crossover from TV to anime. Yeah, um, and I suspect that's just because well, there's a survey of uh, voice actors these days. You might as well pick one that <laughs> are around you all the time and can. Yes. Is easier. You can really tell though when it's a uh, not a say you like the main. Uh, character in the raised is voiced by a tv actor and it's a very very different delivery if that makes sense and i'm not sure how much of that comes down to getting support from the animators right because um like i mean if you've seen like people who do like recordings of do it they do it to like storyboards and stuff i don't know if they make the the people who come from tv do it that way <laughs> don't know. Uh, or if there's a different process because i i feel like to get the best out of a tv actor requires something very different than someone who's trained and understands all the the things that this industry requires yeah i guess the question then becomes uh denny how many tea kettles out of five <laughs> do we give this show it's not a bad show by any means just because i was not a big fan of it doesn't mean i can't recognize that it has plenty of good things however it is just as many things that i felt were dragging it down such as the audio and uh the odd blend of humor and drama might not necessarily work for everybody the story is very familiar so if you're not interested in that might not be something for you i'm just gonna give this a three how how about you freya how do I want to? How many tea kettles do I want to give it? I quite liked the representation of these famous characters in this. While they're like sticking to the common ideas about them, it felt considerably more grounded to me. Um, and I guess part of what makes it work is that Sasuke is such a um, multifaceted character. The, um, he's like he's, he's kind of an asshole to be honest but um there's there's some redeeming qualities to him uh he's smart he's got an appreciation for uh stuff that uh, some of his contemporaries don't his uh the like treatment of his wife in the show is pretty shit um so that brings it down a bit uh to be honest part of what i like about this is that it's not trying to glorify samurai at all but also it's not like showing them as like oh look at how horrible they are like 
they're shown to like suck in re- a realistic way, at least to me. Like it's not over the top about it, and no one is glorified over anyone else. Nobunaga has his problems. Hideyoshi has his problems. Yeah, it's really just the uh, the music and the treatment of uh, Osen that kind of brings it down. So I'm three and a half slash four, I think. Yeah, three and a half, uh, not slash four. I definitely, I definitely like had a, a struggle to like rate this one more than I've rated uh, a lot of other shows. I know it seems like I rate everything two and a half or three, <laughs> uh, but I've kind of established uh, like uh, <laughs> a scale, and I've got and I've got and I've got to try and think like where I put it on this list. It's a reasonable show. The music lets it down. Like I feel like I want to give it a three. I mean, it's definitely better than Parasite Dolls, so I feel like a 2.5 is, would be very low. And so I think I, so I think it's I think it's just going to have to be a three. It's the thing is for three, uh, like it's, it sounds average, but this is a show I could see myself watching a few more episodes of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm more likely to watch this than Run with the Wind, despite rating it the same. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I think Run with the Wind, uh, like, is is uh, like in terms of production, like the cinematography and stuff is quite a bit better. But <laughs> whatever. Also, the music, the music in Run of the Wind is amazing. And with our judgments rendered, it only remains to ask if there's any final interesting facts you have for us. Yes, uh, there is actually one piece that I find quite interesting. Less about the anime, but more about uh, B-Train, specifically their production strategy. So essentially, the way they came up with new uh, with ideas for new anime was to get really, really, really wasted and then brainstorm. That sounds like a pretty. That sounds like a relatively normal way to do brainstorming. <laughs> uh... Another thing is that um, the original manga author and the editorial- Staff were originally consultants on the project, but halfway through they yeah. just walked out. I and saw nobody this. really knows why. And the author asked for his credits to be changed from original story to original concept. Yeah. Nobody knows why. It's really mysterious and it's just kind of a weird thing. And I couldn't find anybody talking about any like differences between the manga and the show. So Yeah, it's... yeah. I mean when I looked at it, it looked very, very similar. The other uh, piece of trivia, I guess, is that the um, we were kind of dancing around this, but the original opening for these episodes was uh, Ball Man by Cro-Magnon. In April of 2011, when the show was airing, uh, Cro-Magnon band member Tsuyoshi Kosuga was arrested on suspicion of violating Japan's cannabis control laws. So, of course, they had to change the opening immediately because we can't have anything associated <laughs> with cannabis in this show. But yeah, uh, with that, what will we be watching next week, Ian? Uh, next week, we'll be watching Arakawa. Alright, that'll be fun. A, a prop, I think that's the first full-on comedy we've had. This was the Anime Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday, more or less. If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the show or suggest something for future shows, you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime or drop us an email at researchanime, all one word, at gmail.com. Maybe eventually we'll have music for these bits. Padoo, padoo, boo. Bow.